0: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by t-shirtcom the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
1: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. That means it is On The Beat podcast. Take a second to rate us and review us and all that good stuff on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Subscribe. Get it brought right to your smart device. Don't want to miss any Inside Carolina content, especially when you've got scoops, you've got a game plan podcast coming up, you've got Orange Bowl reports, you've got all the great content. Make sure you rate us and review us and subscribe. We'd greatly appreciate it. And check out Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Can't beat those guys. They're great friends. Great friends of Inside Carolina subscribers, especially with that 10% off their everyday order. We are recording this after the Monday's press conference with Matt Brown, Jay Bateman, and several players. Ross, I'll, I'll come to you first, and I mentioned Jay Bateman there because um, we have some sort of love affair going on with a certain linebacker that's going to get a lot of play in time Saturday night, and that's Eugene Asante. What did uh, what does Jay Bateman see in Asante um, that's going to sort of lift the burden on Saturday from Chaz Surratt's out there?
0: Yeah, and I think we'll get into a lot of the people that are replacing the opt-outs, but I'm riding on Eugene Asante and, and Jay Bateman's confidence in him, and, and he doesn't seem to be too concerned about losing Surratt. It's hard to replace Surratt, but, I mean, he thinks Sante was the, the best backup that UNC had. Uh, they really didn't play a lot, so the guy who, who hasn't seen him much action, that they they're confident in Eugene Asante. They think he can step right in. He has all the tools. They're high on him as a recruit. He's worked hard, um, always in the film room, all the, the classic cliches. Um, you couldn't find a man more confident in Eugene Asante than Jay Bateman. So, I mean, take that for what, you, what it's worth, but it doesn't seem like there's too much drop-off between the two. Uh, we'll see. But I know the message boards have been, always been high on wanting to see Asante, and, and this is going to be the chance. He's expected to, to get all the snaps. Um, where, where Chaz was, which is a pretty demanding position. And, and on defense, you know, there's a lot of players in there. So it's not like he's going to have to – Um you know, he'll be helped out by, by Gimmel, but this is his second year in the system. So be excited to see what he can do. Um, six foot, 210 pounds, nothing crazy there, but super athletic. Uh, plays at will, linebacker position, which is, which is trusted to make a lot of tackles uh, in the defense with the way the, the, the run – they try to move the run game. And also has to do a lot of coverage skills. But super athletic. Uh, fast um, uh, athletic can move the h- hips there and uh, it, sh- it should be interesting to see because he's the future so we're going to see a lot of the future of a linebacker the position with, with a Gimmel and Asante playing together in the Orange Bowl
1: that was one of the funny comments Matt Brown said a lot of people or a lot of guys have been wanting to play well here's your chance yeah. uh, it's time to step up Greg when I see Gimmel and I listen to his presser today or on Monday and he's talking about Asante, it sort of reminds me of the way Miles Dorn had to do last year. He had to make sure guys were in the right spot, were doing what they were supposed to be. And it sort of um, maybe took away from his game a little bit at times because he was worried about that. Do you envision – I know Gimel said he felt like after the first quarter or so Asante should be fine, but you know, how much guidance is Asante going to be able to get on the field during the game?
2: I think a good bit, and I think one of the things we kind of overlook with Surrat 's decision is that Gimmel's the linebacker that calls out the plays um, so if if you 're losing that component, that would be a much bigger deal um, so Gimmel is kind of the the quarterback now of that defense, and so he will be able to help Asante the fact that they they do line up relatively close to one another he he can have that communication pretty easily um, I think kind of where you're you're lacking. As, you, as we saw against Miami and as we saw against Notre Dame, um, you, Surratt did a really good job uh, spying at times on those quarterbacks. And Bateman gave him some leeway in terms of uh, making plays, whether it be in coverage or, or coming up on delayed blitzes and making sure those guys stayed in the pocket. Uh, so that's going to be a, a difficult ask for Asante if they want to put him in that role. So you've got to pare down things because he doesn't have that experience. So I think there's no doubt he's going to be a great player. Um, he, he probably does not know that the nuance of a lot of these things quite yet. And that is a benefit of having two weeks instead of just one to prepare. You can really kind of coach him up to be prepared for some of that stuff uh, that Kellen Mond and that offense will do. Uh, but it's still, going to be, it's still going to be a challenge for him. You can mitigate it somewhat with, with Gimel's experience there beside him
1: uh one thing that was concerning ross is i can't remember i think it was bateman may have been mike brown said they played him a lot against virginia tech yeah and it didn't really work out with the
0: what they were trying to ask him to do he played him at nickelback it sounded like which i mean i didn't really know that but that's where he got he's got his most snaps against virginia tech and he played i guess a hybrid nickel position which bateman said didn't really fit what he can do and he wasn't really able to, his, his skills weren't made for that position so maybe they tried to get him on which makes him makes me think that you know they thought he was one of the best 11 defenders they just wanted to get him on the field like they've done a lot with Trey Morrison but that nickel hybrid linebacker position or whatever that was didn't work out but now he's been the guy whenever Chaz comes out for a break or gets injured he plays a lot of snaps on special teams I mean and it was assumed when, when Chaz opted out that Everybody immediately knew it was Asante's role. Like he is the backup. So there was no confusion there, no competition. He's been waiting in the wings and kind of waiting his opportunity and preparing accordingly. You know, Gimel mentioned, you know, him just always watching tape and kind of getting extra reps and, and staying ready. Now, preparing to be a starter is a little bit different than preparing to be the backup with the idea that maybe you'll get in. So it's been a little bit different the last two weeks. But um, Bayman thinks he'll be ready and he's super pumped to, to watch him play. So keep your eyes out on number eight. Number seven, Cadre Jackson. Who's eight?
1: Cadre Jackson, number eight. That's oh, yeah. the backup. That, That's he's the other backup. Yeah, so he's the, he's the backups to the backups and, that are and, playing. And man.
0: on that note, Cedric Bateman mentioned Cedric Gray as an impressive freshman who is, would be the, also the, the backup there as well. So the, 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 the depth chart in that room is uh, Gimel, Asante, and then, and then Jackson and the true freshman Cedric Gray right behind them.
1: It's incredible that Caroline's in the Orange Bowl, and these guys are going to have to play huge roles. Greg, before we move off of Asante and Gimel, you described Gimel as the play caller. Just sort of break down their roles a little bit, because Chaz seemed to play the C-ball hit ball guy a lot, um, where Gimel was the the manager out there. Sort of break down those two positions.
2: Well, it's just just a matter of skill set and what Jay Bateman wanted to do. I mean, I don't think there's much difference in the inside linebacker positions. Uh, It's just kind of each guy is assigned a role. That's one of the unique things about Bateman's scheme is he's kind of harped on the idea of being positionless. And the reason why is is that he can call certain plays and then within that particular play that he calls, he can say, okay, well, I'm going to tag this cornerback or I'm going to tag this linebacker or this defensive end. In this particular role, so it could be the same play, but the blitz is coming from three different positions depending on who he tags. Uh, and so you don't want to complicate things too much at the inside linebacker position. And when I say call the plays, you know, when, when Bateman signals stuff in, the guys in the secondary are getting it, Gimble's getting it, and guys up front are getting it, uh, especially with how, how quickly these offenses run. So they kind of know what they're supposed to be doing anyway. So it's not the old school days where you have Mike Singletary who gets the play call and shares it with everybody. <laughs> that's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, but he is the guy that kind of makes sure everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing on the front end and on the back end. And that, that's really the primary difference. The fact that Surratt is such a freak athlete, uh, and, and his skill set really, because he's so young, so raw at the linebacker position, they really liked what he could do uh, rushing the passer. And so they just they just put those responsibilities on him more so than Gimmel.
0: It also sounds like they they funneled they made Chaz the the extra uh, defender to make the tackle in a yeah. lot of instances where the the play was funneled towards him. And I think in the second half of the season you saw Gimmel rushing the passer a lot more too, and being a guy in the backfield. So the roles yep. do have confusion. They wanted Chaz to be there to make the tackle because Bateman said they expect. Uh, Asante to be there to, to make a lot of tackles as well, as opposed to Asante and, uh, Chaz play the will position. Whereas I think Gimel's more than Mike. Is that yeah. right? Greg?
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. Nailed it. I was going to ask, uh, who's Mike Singletary Ross?
0: Chicago Bulls, <laughs> Chicago, uh, Bears, uh, middle linebacker. Oh, okay. I was, 86, sure. 86 <laughs> I
1: was just making sure. 86, 86 Bears. I was just making sure. Bowl shuffle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. I'm impressed. Uh, My birth know. year you're not as young oh well never mind
0: former uh former 49ers uh head coach he dropped his uh, pants in the locker room <laughs> nice tidbit there. All, there uh, only Ross Martin that is a that, that
2: is a macho move isn't it
1: <laughs> and told him what he thought of him uh let me refocus here let's talk <laughs> let's switch it up and talk about uh backups at the running back position oh yeah uh Javante's opt out, a little bit of a surprise, but they knew Carter was going to be out. Um, Ross, I come back to you again. I mean, I like Elijah Green of, what the, of who I've seen, but it sounds like he might be down the totem pole a little bit for yeah. Josh Henderson and
0: British Brooks. That's what it sounded like uh, with just how Mac said that there's a couple more things that Elijah Green has to learn. It sounds like British Brooks may be the starter. Uh, I think that Henderson has always been a little bit behind. I don't know, That's how, how I feel. I don't know if Greg would agree with me, but it's, Greg, you were a little bit off there. It sounded like British Brooks is the starter. Is that what you kind of took away?
2: Uh, that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, I mean,
0: and then then Henderson and then Elijah Green. I agree with you, Tommy, that Elijah Green maybe has the bigger upside as maybe more of the athlete, has a little, more, uh, a little more swivel, a little more athleticism. So I think we'll see all three. But uh, you've got to teach these guys quick. So they're probably putting in Brooks and Henderson a lot and and keeping kind of Elijah Green as the, the backup. That's it. Those are the only three scholarship running backs left because of D.J. Jones' injury. So we've seen Brooks in, in spring games, and we've seen him in, in mop-up duty. It looks like he's going to get the start uh, for UNC. And, and he's been the team captain for special teams the last two years. So he is a uh, – a voice in locker room. He's a leader. He's a veteran, but he hasn't gotten the shine yet at running back. He'll get that January 2nd.
2: Yeah, and that's the challenge here is because you've got DJ Jones, who, was, who may have been your primary number three guy, and he's out because of a foot injury. Uh, Elijah Green played in a basically an I-formation run offense in high school, so he's not up to task yet yeah. with, with all the passing pass block concepts that's required. So that drops him down a bit. Uh, we know what Brooks can do. He's an Ashbrook native, uh, so, so props to the, the Gastonia peeps. But, I mean, you are, you're talking about a walk-on junior as your primary guy. Um, and I think Henderson's – I think Ross is exactly right in the hierarchy there. Um, but then, I mean, with Brooks being your special teams captain, I mean, that, that filters down to special teams. And so where do you limit Brooks? Do you let him do everything and risk potential injury? Uh, Do you try to pick and choose where you want him, which could potentially hurt you on either offense or special teams? So there's very much a uh, kind of a a snowball effect of of not having Javante get you into this area where guys that you're using on other parts of the team are now being having a, a focus offensively, And it just mixes up everything.
1: That's where the the late declaration by Javante, I think, muddies the water even more. Because you're right, British – look, Carolina's special teams, we could argue that they cost them two games this year. And Mm -hmm. you take British Brooks off of that, and you're right. How does it filter down? I I mean, I – I don't think running backs are the key to this ballgame, at least getting yards. But I think there's a lot of other stuff going on there. And, and you're right, the filtering down is what should be concerning the most. Ross, I'll come to you, the last one that we don't ever talk about because Carolina's wide receiver room is so stacked, for lack of a better term. I mean, D'Ami Brown made a decision uh, to opt out of this one and then go bro as a junior. He's been fantastic. and his you know, Carter and Javante get a ton of ink, and rightfully so, but Brown has been a difference maker early in games this year.
0: Yeah, you're missing your your best wide receiver and the the best deep, deep threat, but I think UNC's wide receiver group is the deepest and the most talented. Uh, you just look at the down the line. I mean, Joffrey Brown, his brother will step in. Mac Brown mentioned Antoine Green, who is a big time recruit and, and a big get for UNC, who just has been injured a lot. Hasn't done much at all at UNC. And it is he had a touchdown I think against Western Carolina. Did um, they mention him today? So he seems to guys to get more plug there. Um, who am I missing? Um, Emory Simmons will play more, but I think the deep threat guys, the speedster, is gonna be Brown and Green. Uh, but then you think about Ron Tavius Groves hasn't played a lot either. So there's a lot of names. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who gets the the, the most time, but. Yeah, I think that's the least of the concerns. But, I mean, you miss your best player. You remember what happened in 2016 when Matt Collins got injured? That deep threat is gone. And that speed through to top off the, the defense is gone. It changes it changes the whole offense. So that's a huge difference maker because it, it obviously takes the safety out of play sometimes. You always have to worry about that that long route. So Domi's the best at it for UNC, and he's not playing. Um, but we'll definitely get a glimpse of what uh, the receiver group look like next year. And, and hopefully guys like Josh Brown, uh, Josh Downs and some younger guys will, will get a lot of time and we can see what they can do.
1: Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I, I wonder what it's like in the Brown household with Chaffrey, <laughs> um having to tweet out, hey, we got recruited for a reason when everybody's overlooking them. Greg, let me come to you to ask you about the NFL process just a little bit. I know that Daryl Moody and some of the other guys on staff were responsible or helpful to these players to get there. Uh, read on what could be expected with the NFL. But Max said that none of that has come back yet. And Brown and Javante made the decision to go ahead and declare for the draft. How does that work?
2: Uh, that's an interesting an interesting question, Tommy. I don't know how it works in terms of the players making a decision without having that information available, which is uh, I had assumed when the guys initially – had made their decision that they had received some feedback Um, because the nfl draft advisory committee basically what that that group does is is, it's a service that kids that are considering entering the draft early they can fill out a form send it in and that advisory committee checks with with sources throughout the league so check with gm offices all, all throughout all 32 teams and they get a kind of an idea an average grade of all right we think this kid is going to be a first day pick we think he's going to be a second day pick and then after that they don't they don't give you an option they say you need to come back or whatever it may be Um, and then they give you some things to work on potentially Uh, I think everybody remembers Mitch Trubisky uh, he got his back pretty quickly it was well before the bowl game that he was going to be a first round selection he didn't make his decision however until after the bowl game um, I think him and his family made the decision right around New Year's Day that year. Um, and so, as you said, Daryl Moody, kind of his role with this team is is to provide that type of feedback uh, to the players and, and converse with agents and converse with um, NFL uh, sources throughout the league, kind of like Roy Williams does for his players, and, and provide a kind of a more detailed response than what the advisory committee does and then of course he's the guy that handles pro day in the spring and those types of things Um, but the fact that those guys made this decision uh, without getting that feedback is interesting Um, and somebody clearly is in their ear and mac mentioned that on monday that uh, it sounds like somebody told them that they couldn't improve on their performance against miami and therefore they should let that be the final college game of their careers. And move forward um I, I will say there was some legitimate optimism that javante williams was going to return not only for the bowl game but for his senior season um and that was as of uh, early december that while they knew that Diami likely was going to go there was some expectation that javante may decide to come back and so uh clearly that has changed um but, yeah, to make these decisions without that direct NFL feedback uh, is, is fascinating in this case.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a quote from Mac Brown that's, I mean, basically what Greg just said, but just very telling about kind of what happened. He goes, and it seems to me that someone has advised him not to play in the ball game because they had such great games against Miami. They don't really need to show themselves anymore. There's a possibility they could get hurt. So I would think that's what probably has been involved. Uh, with the family decision making more than anything else, but you have to ask them. All I have to say is, they uh, is said so they weren't going to play, and, and I just said thank you for all your effort, and all you've done for us. Good luck, and we'll help you with the draft. We'll help you in the combine. We'll help you in any way we can. And usually, if I say what changed or something, it's usually oh, just the family, and I decide what was best for me. And it's not my place to make them feel pressured. And then that's all. That's all I ask more than that. So. Uh, Yeah, sounds like someone – I mean, agents or whoever's involved uh, told them not to play. any I don't know. I guess there's a whole conversation here, but you kind of – it is what it is, you know. I mean, there is the risk, and they probably don't have to prove any more, at least to Javante that certainly doesn't.
1: Yeah, hey, I tend to agree. You do what you can do, and you prove yourself, and there's – I don't know. It kinda, <laughs> it's kind of two different hats there. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know – But Carolina is in the Orange Bowl Saturday night, 8 o'clock, Texas A&M. I'll talk to Greg Barnes later in the week on the Game Plan Podcast with Jason Staples, Ross Martin. We're going to forego basketball. We're going to opt out of basketball discussion (sighs) on this podcast. Uh, You guys hadn't had Roy Williams since NC State, right?
2: No, I I guarantee you he he is still seething about that one.
1: Yeah, he was quite uh, a little ticked. After that NC State <laughs> ball game, but uh, it was what was it like covering over there, Greg? Same zoom and everything,
2: yeah. Same, I mean, that's you, you basically, yeah, you just kind of it was a free for all because we sat on the concourse and there were no assigned seats, there's a couple of tables set up, they told you to space apart, and then about an hour after the game, they're like, Get out of here, we gotta go home. So, um uh, so
0: you didn't even get press row
1: there up in press row up way up the top.
2: Yeah, That's the
0: hockey press row. They, they didn't. They, they
2: didn't even let us up there. <laughs> so
0: I mean, so hey, we can talk about here briefly. What do you think? The, we haven't talked since. Then. I mean, what do you think the issue is with the basketball team, Greg? What's the big concern? I've been asked this by friends and family over the holidays, so I want to hear what you would say.
2: I mean, I think it's guard play. Um, I think Armando Baycott's playing really well. Uh, I think the fact that you. You don't have a scoring option at the three spot. Yeah. It's problematic. And I know a lot of people say, well, just put Corin Walton in or put Puff Johnson in and let them learn and provide scoring along the way. It's not how Roy Williams does it. You have to be able to do more than just score the ball. Uh, but when you combine that with the fact that the freshman guards, who I think R.J. Davis is going to be a really good player for UNC. Um, I, I think he's got that potential. Uh, Caleb is just struggling. He's trying to learn how to run the offense and score. But when all those guys, you know, RJ, Caleb, and Leakey aren't scoring for you, teams can just collapse into the post. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty it, much it.
0: It makes it so much harder to, to pass the post when you have that. And passing the post is difficult already. You have long arms, long – talked about this in the last podcast. I mean, it, getting the ball inside is a lot – harder than it sounds it's easy to say pass it down low but that's it's harder to make the, the great passes and then yeah i think the fact that caleb love is not hitting threes is just a game changer we, we, leaky is what he is man. he's not a shooter doesn't sound like he's gonna be a shooter so the fact that they don't have much shooting rj davis is, is the best of those three shooting from deep i believe but he's still not knocking them down at any sort of rate so when your three wings are not three-point shooters at all you know, all shooting under 30% and some shooting under 15%. It really hurts you offensively. Um, yeah, and then just, just the basics of, of running the offense to getting the ball inside I think is really hurting them because they got to feed the guys, and it's just not happening right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they're ranked 237th in effective field goal percentage. They rank 254th in turnover percentage and 308th in three-point field goal percentage.
0: And that's yeah, that's out, of, out of 330. It's all guards and wings and stuff. Yeah, I mean, so they're keeping Leaky in because he's good rebounder, good defender, and that's just. I mean, even though Kerwin's gone off and, and Puff has had moments, it's just tough to make that switch. It, it, we'll see if it's maybe becomes more of a twenty twenty deal, like in right. terms of twenty minutes, twenty minutes for each player. But
2: and and nobody complained about Jackie Manuel not being able to score. Yeah. Now.
0: Because you had you had Rashad McCants and, and Raymond Felton.
2: No, so that's not an excuse. I don't. I don't mention it for. I, my point is is that there are pieces here uh, that are lacking. And so if you've got really good scoring guards, Leakey's perfect for that role because he does a lot of different things. But all of a sudden his weaknesses kind of rise up when you're not getting that scoring production at the other positions.
0: Um, I think Caleb has shown that he can get to the basket, and you're seeing those flashes here and there of his ability, and you want to see more and more of that. Same with Leakey. I mean, you've seen Leakey get into the mid-range and score around the basket a little bit, still missing some gimmies, but you kind of see that. Uh, you just want more of that out of Caleb Love, because if he can drive to the basket, it kind of opens up a couple things at least. Uh, they, just need, they just need a shooter or two, because I think yeah, I think Armando, I think when Garrison gets opportunities, he, he's played well, but he still needs – he's not playing – like he did last year, obviously.
2: Yeah, but like, to your point, Ross, like what Caleb did against Kentucky, and part of that's because Kentucky's young, but part of it's their solid of defense. He was able to create lanes, and he was able to get to the rim. And that's what you want to see him do. Yeah. It's going to be the Syracuses and the Virginias where it's not going to be that easy. And I think this team can really struggle if those guys don't shoot, start shooting better from the outside by then.
1: Well, it's, it's also they did well against other young Teams, sure. And against, I mean, you look at a, a team like Gonzaga. We know they're the best, but uh, they are very experienced with a young stud that can play with a bunch of experienced guys. But l- let me ask you, Greg name name three players on Carolina that are playing above expectations this year.
2: Uh, Dayron Sharp, Armando Bacot. Um, that's a good question.
0: I'd go Kerwin.
2: Maybe Kerwin. And I, again, I think R.J. Davis is, is pretty close to expectation. Well, um,
0: and, and one thing, I mean, look, they lost – look at the schedule right here. They lost state by three. They lost Texas by two. You know, and they got, they got killed by Iowa. So, you know, they hit one more three in each of those games. Those are Ws. And
2: but, how, much, how much would four extra games against Gimmies like Elon
0: yeah. help? Yeah, we're making excuses here because it could obviously go <laughs> the other way too. Like obviously, state and and uh, Texas missed shots as well, but it's definitely not like last year. And you're seeing flashes, and I think you're seeing a lot of positives. And I've written about that a couple of times, but there are some glaring issues and concerns, as my column said on uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas and,
2: Eve, and we've talked about this before. But North Carolina is not alone, and so we we tend to look and. To these things in kind of in a vacuum, uh, but outside of Gonzaga and maybe Baylor, I mean, all these teams are struggling. If you look at the ACC, for example, Ken Palm's projections—they've uh, got Duke as as the best team projection-wise, at thirteen and six in the ACC standings. I mean, um, so it's going to be a very competitive season. Whichever team makes the most strides between now and February. It's probably going to be the team that ends up winning the regular season.
1: All right. Let's get political, Greg. Do we see February?
2: Do we see February?
0: Jesus, it's like religious too.
2: Uh, in the in the sports world or just in general?
0: In yeah. the con- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thinks the world's going to end.
2: <laughs> I do. Um, I think the next couple of weeks are going to be a challenge just because, I mean, when well, they come out and said that there's 1.2 million people in the airports. The day after christmas uh so you would assume that the spike that we've been seeing in the last month will probably continue for another couple weeks um and so you may see some more games postponed or even canceled that's the thing you talk about postponing games where are you going to make them up at i understand that the choice is going to be there to try to make it up like unc's got one open date on their schedule um so, I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't see the Syracuse game being made up. We'll have to see. But uh, there's going to be some, some games lost, I think, in the next couple of weeks. But if you get through that and everything looks okay and you're not seeing many cases pop up uh, throughout the league, then, yeah, I think you'll be able to finish the season.
1: What about Duke shutting it down, Ross? You, you, uh, Coach Banghart, y'all are tight. If you Duke, ask her. Duke women. Have you asked her about Duke women shutting it down? (laughs) I'm not not (laughs) on a –
0: I don't have a personal texting relationship (laughs) with Coach Banghart yet. I mean, that's Uh, just interesting that – And then Duke lost the game today, right, to Pittsburgh? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, remember Duke was the uh, men's basketball team that that shut down the ACC tournament as well. So they've been on kind of the front lines of of ending seasons. It's very Um, interesting. Which might be an administrative thing maybe. I'm not sure.
1: It's interesting. I don't understand, knock on wood, um, traveling to Miami and see a ball game. But these these guys are basically in a bubble, are they not, except for the holiday. Uh, I mean, and you got these teams that are out there getting wrapped up in it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Mack Brown set the standard that we think everybody should be able to hold, and it just doesn't work that way. Ross Martin, Greg Barnes, it's been On The Beat Podcast. Gentlemen, until next week, we'll talk soon.